Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. It is the final day of the insanity that we call 2020. That's right. This episode is going live on New Year's Eve. In honor of the big day, it will feature three stories of risky resolutions and frightening New Year's encounters. This first story reminds us that living in the past is a waste of time. That lesson is learned the hard way in The New Year Won't Be New For Me. 2018 has been the worst year of my life. I found out my girlfriend of two years has been cheating on me. I was fired from my job. My dog was kidnapped. My best friend died in a car crash. And worst of all, however, is that this will be the eighth time I've lived through 2018. I'll start from the first time. It was just before midnight on New Year's Eve. I was alone, of course. I'm not a religious person, but after the horrible year I had experienced, I was ready to try anything. I prayed to any god that would listen. I wished that I would never have to experience another year like 2018. Either the god that listened to me was a sadist, or a demon heard my plea instead. Instead of granting my wish, they are making me live through the worst year of my life, over and over. The first time I experienced the time loop, I thought it truly was a gift and not a curse. I was wrong. I woke up in my bed like any other morning. Nothing seemed different. That was until I made my way into my kitchen. I noticed that the layout of my furniture in the living room was different than it had been the night before. Then my phone began to ring. It was my girlfriend, or rather my ex-girlfriend. I had broken up with her after finding out she was sleeping around with her boss. But then why had her name come up as Lover with a heart emoji next to it? I knew I had changed that a long time ago. I ignored the call. I soon received a text message that said, Hey baby, call me when you wake up. I wanted to tell you I will be home late tonight. We have to catch up from all the time off during the holidays. Love you. Was she toying with me? It had been over six months since we had broken up. I was about to type back an angry response when I noticed the date on the background of my phone. January 1st, 2018. Was this some type of glitch? Had my phone possibly reverted to an earlier date? There was one way to test it. I called my dead friend, Ricky. Ricky had died in a drunk driving accident. He wasn't the one drinking, but it didn't matter. He had gone out by himself one night for a late taco trip, but he would never come home. 
The phone rang a few times before someone picked up on the other side. The voice on the other end said, Ricky? I questioned. He responded. I almost dropped my phone in shock. It was unmistakably his voice and attitude. He was alive again. Was I really in 2018 again? I quickly apologized to him for calling so early and hung up the phone. I ran back to my room to see my other best friend laying at the foot of my bed. I had groggily walked past him when I woke up. It was my golden retriever, Apollo. He had been stolen from me the previous year. Someone had broken into my home while I was at work. They took everything of value, including my dog. I basically jumped on him with excitement. He was confused at first, but after a few seconds began to play back. This was like a dream come true. I was given the opportunity to fix the worst year of my life. Except, I wasn't. I marked down the date that each terrible event occurred, determined to reverse fate. First would be fixing my relationship. I became the best boyfriend imaginable. Even Hallmark movies had nothing on me. I began to take my girlfriend on date after date to anywhere she wanted. I surprised her with flowers every chance I got. I loved her with everything I had. But it wasn't enough. No matter how many times I lived through 2018, she always cheats. No matter how hard I try, it never matters. Well, I guess you can't change a person, after all. Perhaps this was a sign that I was better off without her anyway. So I moved on to focusing on preventing Apollo from being kidnapped. I upgraded the security in my home. I added cameras, sensors, anything that would stop what I knew would happen. I even stayed home the day he went missing to make sure he would stay with me. But once again, it didn't matter. Despite my efforts, my dog gets kidnapped every 2018. If I stay home with him the original day he went missing, then he disappears the next day. I tried bringing him almost everywhere with me, but the moment I leave him for five minutes, he's gone. I could still save Ricky though, right? Even if I lost everything else, if I could just save Ricky, I could still be a little happy. We had grown up together, and his death, stacked upon the rest of my year, had driven me to the brink of suicide. I couldn't follow through with it, but it was the closest I had ever come to death myself. The night Ricky died, he had been alone. 
so I went to his house that night instead. I even brought tacos with me, so there would be no need for a trip out. Ricky lived for about a week. After that, he was once again hit by a drunk driver. Once again, nothing I do ever mattered. Every year, I try to save Ricky, and every year, he dies. The only way I could see saving him is if I tied him up and locked him in my basement, but I don't think I could do that. I imagine after this New Year's Eve, I will once again wake up in 2018. I'm writing this in the hopes that I somehow make it to 2019. And maybe someone out there can help me. I just want 2018 to be over. If there's one thing that the new year guarantees, other than the hangovers, it's the widespread making of resolutions. Arguably, one of the most popular of these resolutions is for people to finally quit smoking. In this story, the protagonist explains his desire to do exactly that, after seeing the disturbing images of the advertisements on cigarette packets. I've been smoking ever since I was 18 years old, and I only did it to look cool and fit in. Smoking has this strange social hierarchy towards it, and we see it all over the movies and the media, that all the cool, intelligent people do it. I guess smoking is the greatest icebreaker for human beings to talk, socialize, and it kind of brings people together. If you smoke, then you know what I'm talking about. You sort of find comfort in finding another person that smokes as well. Now that I'm in my mid-30s, I am already feeling the effects of smoking, and I work in a stressful, office job type of environment. I have to sell insurance, and my company is really strict on hitting the targets, and I have a family to provide for now. Smoking has this amazing gift to calm or de-stress the body, especially after eating a heavy meal. Smoking is always the best dessert. Yes, I've noticed many changes over the years, with the banning of smoking inside public areas, workspaces, and hiking up the prices of cigarette packs. Society has made a few changes to the laws to make it uncomfortable for smokers to smoke in a bit of hope to stop them from doing it altogether. Now, I've tried to stop smoking so many times. I've gone to help groups, and I've even tried some e-cigarettes, but it's nothing like the real thing. I mean, in my opinion, we're all going to die anyway, and so we should squeeze the best out of life as much as we can. I'm also well aware of the countless negative smoking adverts, especially on cigarette packets themselves. On every cigarette pack, there is a man, a woman, or child suffering with some kind of illness or disease caused by smoking and with the disgusting image of the disease or illness to help put off smokers from smoking. It is all very strange. Cigarette advertisements, I mean. 
Every other product in the world has some type of positive message about its product. But smoking is so powerful that not even negative advertisements can really hold smokers off. The packets nowadays are made to look unattractive, dull, and boring. I personally never cared for the way cigarettes were advertised. But no matter how many people have told me to stop throughout the years, I just can't. About three months ago, I bought a pack of cigarettes. Again, I never really cared for the gruesome images that were on the packs. But when I looked at this one, it terrified me. There, on the cigarette pack, was a photo of me. But I was dead and in a coffin with my wife and two daughters crying for me. I actually began to choke up at the sight of this and was staring at it for hours on end. How the hell did they get a picture of me in a coffin with my family crying around it? I proceeded to take out all the cigarettes and throw away the pack. I've never felt so much terror in my life. It was at that moment I had become so scared of smoking for the first time in my life. The next time I went into the shop for a pack of cigarettes, I made sure to check all the packs carefully for any photos of me or my family, and breathed a sigh of relief when I found nothing of the sort. When I got home later that night, I felt like smoking in the garden. I looked at the cigarette packet again. A feeling of disturbing confusion washed over me. On the same pack I had bought earlier was another photo of me, except this time I was sick with blood cancer. Again, the photo featured my family, looking sad and depressed. I swear this image was not on the cigarette pack before when I had bought it. There was writing on the cigarette pack as well, which read, Stop smoking now, Larry. After reading that, I immediately threw away the entire pack. I went up to check on my two daughters and watched them sleep. I couldn't get the images of what I saw on the cigarette pack out of my head. The way my family looked, so miserable and depressed over me dying, was gut-wrenching. It was right then that I decided I needed to quit. I hopped back on e-cigarettes and joined all the support groups again. I was giving it my all, but temptation was everywhere. And even though cigarette packs weren't so colorful or eye-catching, every cigarette I came by was literally glowing at me. After some time, the temptation became more than I can handle. And as much as I'm ashamed to admit it, I bought another pack of cigarettes. Due to the fact that I had smoked for so long, my body was struggling to cope without cigarettes. I couldn't even concentrate at work. I was beginning to get extremely irritated at the smallest things, and I just needed some release. I did try to fill the gap with everything, exercising, carrot sticks, you name it, but I knew nothing was going to hit the spot like a nice, warm smoke. 
After I broke and bought the new cigarette pack, I recall feeling an immense amount of regret and shame, but I just pushed it all down and ignored it. As I smoked my first cigarette in weeks, I felt so calm and collected. Everything was so calmly silent in that moment. Life felt good and I was relieved to finally have some smoke in my lungs. Then I started to hear crying. I looked around to see where it was coming from, but I couldn't find anyone around me that was actually crying. The sound grew louder and louder as if it were coming from multiple people, but as much as I looked, I couldn't find anyone around me that was crying in such a heart-wrenching way. After I began to feel the vibrations in my hand, I realized where the sound was coming from. I raised up my hand and looked at the new cigarette pack I had bought. The image on the pack was actually moving this time. Not just moving, but it actually seemed to be alive. Again, it was me, but this time I was suffering from heart disease. Just like last time, my family were devastated and crying at my current predicament. I stared at the sickly image of my dying body, and it began to speak out to me, saying, Stop smoking. I did try hard to stop, but again, miserably failed. After a while, I began to realize I was hopelessly addicted. It came to the point where I kind of accepted what could happen to me, and as long as no one else got hurt, I could die happy. I continued purchasing new cigarettes, every time ignoring the deathly images of myself on the packs. Then one day, just as I thought nothing could surprise me, one of the images on the packets showed me something completely different. This time, it showed me, but I was alive and healthy. Though I can't say the same for my family. They were dying of some sickness or illness due to my smoking habits. The continued smoke they breathed in over the years had finally taken effect. At the sight of this, I chucked away the pack of cigarettes, feeling extremely remorseful and disgusted with myself. As hard as it first was to see me suffering, the sight of my family suffering due to my habits was more than I can bear. In that moment, my wife began to phone me. I picked up, and she sounded extremely worried. She sounded frantic and was going on about our eldest daughter, Ellen. From what I could understand, Ellen was taken away in an ambulance. I drove like a maniac towards the hospital she was taken to, and when I arrived, I found myself staring at my family with my eldest daughter in a hospital bed. At the sight of this, my knees began to get weak, and I took a seat fearing I would pass out. Once seated, I noticed something was still in my pocket. The same pack of cigarettes I had thrown out earlier. I pulled it out and looked at the image on the pack. Again, 
this time it was different. I stared with tears in my eyes as I realized it was showing me the current situation I was in. It showed me, my wife and younger daughter, standing around Ellen's bed, weeping as she breathed her last breath. Alright, alright, I get it. This episode has been a heavy one. Sad story after sad story, I know. But hey, that pretty much sums up the whole year, right? Well, before you lose all hope, here's one last story that I think will lift your spirits just a bit. Sit back and enjoy the last story of the night and of the year, titled, Please Do Not Try to Summon Bigfoot on New Year's Eve, Ever. Dude, why did I ever agree to this? Chill, man, Tay whispered. Just a few more minutes. We sat inside of the Ford pickup truck waiting for the clock to strike 12.01. It was all a part of the rules. They were fairly simple, actually. Find the abandoned forest near location redacted. Wait exactly 5 hours from 7 p.m. to 12.01 a.m. Flash the vehicle's headlights 7 times before getting out. And most importantly, do all these steps on the eve of New Year's. My phone still doesn't have any reception here. Will you relax? We'll be fine. You sure this has to be done on New Year's Eve? I was very skeptical of this crap. When I picked up Tay's call a few days back, I didn't realize I would be ringing in the New Year sitting inside of a truck in the middle of nowhere, looking for a fake fairy tale. Trust me, man. This is legit. Even you read the rules. It had to be today. Plus, the people on the website have done this a couple of times. He paused. Couldn't hurt to try, right? Well, you and your website better not get us arrested for trespassing. I grabbed my tenth bag of chips and chomped on them quietly while watching the car's built-in clock. The green numbers on the display now read 11.58. Get ready. Tay put his hands on the steering wheel while I double-checked our supplies. We waited a little bit more until finally... Both our phone's alarms simultaneously buzzed in our pockets, and the car clock read 12.01. Tay repetitively flashed the headlights of the car seven times before we made our way out of the vehicle. I stepped on a thin branch, breaking it in the silence of the foliage around us. I stretched, relieved to be freed of many hours cooped up inside the car. I heard Tay crack his knuckles before he walked over and opened the back of the pickup. I grabbed my backpack, turned on my flashlight, and felt the knife holder attached to my belt. Tay wore his backpack and strapped an LED light band to his head. 
he held a flashlight and pulled out a pistol. You really brought a gun, huh? He smiled. <laughs> Best to be prepared. I still didn't believe that any of this would actually work. My body began to feel a bit rigid as I followed Tay into the mouth of the woods. The sudden shift from the warmer climate of the car to the chilly environment outside caused the hairs on my arms to stand on end. Still, I kept playing along. The trees stretched to the sky and grew taller as we walked deeper into the darkness. The thick branches of the massive structures covered the clouds above, barely letting any light in from the moon and the stars. We trudged further, casting our lights in the eerie blackness. Oddly enough, the chirps of the birds, the buzzing of the insects, and the midnight owl's hoot ceased to exist. Only an ominous stillness hung in the air every step that we took along the way. Until we both heard it. We quickly froze. A deep grumble echoed the trees, and it felt like it was coming from all directions. Tay propped up his gun and used his light to scan around. I did the same. Bro, you hearing this? Tay glanced in my direction. The hell was that? I kept checking my back, as well as every other direction. Just then, another loud growl erupted, sounding closer. The palms of my hands were becoming clammy, and sweat began to accumulate on my forehead. Dude, I think we should leave. This doesn't feel right. Don't be a chicken. We have to see if Bigfoot's here, he replied. And if he comes after us, I'll blow the head off of that son of a- Look out! I screamed just as a large figure darted out of the darkness behind Tay. He jumped to his side, just in time to avoid the creature's grasp. I stared in immense fear and awe at what stood before me. My description is simply an understatement. The creature, Bigfoot, in itself was made out of darkness save for four lumpy, glowing eyes that protruded from the top of its furry head. The top half of its body resembled a giant hairy ape, but the bottom was completely different. Spider-like floating tentacles, too many to count, extended from the stomach portion. Each of the long, sharp extensions emitted darkness, sucking away the light from our flashlights. Dark drool seeped out of the horrendous mouth as it lashed its curved fangs at us. These were the only features I could make out before the remaining light around us began to fade away. I knew if we didn't act fast, we were dead meat. Tay courageously pulled the trigger on his gun multiple times, the bullets made contact with the creature, but barely aroused it. 
It only made the thing angrier. Damn it! Tay yelled, realizing we were done for. I tried to pull myself up, my arms and legs trembling, but they refused to work. I watched helplessly as Bigfoot's sharp tentacles snatched Tay around the legs, dragging him from the ground. Tay clawed the dirt with his hands, squirmed and screamed for help, but to no avail. I threw my flashlight at the damn beast before one of the other tentacles wrapped around my waist. I painfully felt the sharp, rough edges of the arm dig into my skin, and I cried out tearfully. I was on the brink of going unconscious. Yet, through the shadows, I saw something dash from the corner of my eye. My eyes adjusting. I made out what appeared to be a man standing behind us, holding a bright object in his hands. Focusing, I realized his hands themselves were emitting the bright glow. Suddenly, a huge spark of light erupted in the darkness, blinding me for a few seconds. Everything occurred so quickly. I felt the tentacles release its firm grip on me, and I fell to the soft dirt with a thud. I heard a screech so loud my eardrums ached, and in one moment, my surroundings were swept underneath a blanket of pitch blackness. I woke up inside of a wooden hut. I was lying on a small bed, and spotted Tay sitting near a fire outside, talking to the man I saw earlier. The sky was still dark, and my head kept throbbing. I managed to get up and walk to the campfire, the flames lashing out in a warm welcome. Well, look who came to. The man spoke in a soft tone as he saw me approaching. This is Mr. Edward, Tay introduced him. He's the one that saved us. Thank you, I spoke tiredly. Our asses wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for you, man. Edward sighed. I've seen many like you two enter these woods to find that so-called Bigfoot. Good thing I managed to show up in time. The others weren't so lucky. He stared at the fire for a second. That thing ain't Bigfoot, boys. It's something even worse than the legend. What is it then? Tay questioned. Well, it uses your deepest inner fears to mold itself into existence. That bastard's made out of pure darkness, so it lives in the shadows of that forsaken forest, preying on whoever shows up. What types of animal do you fear the most? Ed asked me. The reflections of the flames glistened in his eyes. I managed to choke it out. Spiders. I hate them. 
and uh, a giant squids. And there you go. Your friend Tay here fears Bigfoot. So it used that form, along with your own, to pre-exist. Wait, so Bigfoot doesn't exist, but this thing does? Tay asked. Yep. Bigfoot is one of the many forms it can take. Some poor fool probably cooked up the legend and ran into this beast, making it reality. Edward looked up at the sky. It's starting to become daytime, boys. You two better be heading back. Tay and I agreed. Edward put out the fire, and we followed after grabbing our belongings. He led us through a clearing for a few minutes until we reached the pickup, still parked at the same location we arrived in. I eagerly got into the vehicle, and Tay got in after. We both thanked Edward again and started the car. Before you go, Edward stood near the passenger side window. I don't want to see you both here again, all right? It's not safe. Trust me, I replied. There is no way we're ever coming back. Good. He backed away from the window and proceeded to turn around. Mr. Edward? Tay called out last minute. How did you know about the creature in the first place? A faint smile tugged at Edward's cheeks. I knew the rules too, kid, back when I was your age. With that, he walked away. We heard the soft crunching of leaves fade ever so slightly until only the silence remained. Tay backed up the truck, turned it around, and drove us back to the main road. I watched the forest behind us slowly disappear into the distance. Both of us sat in silence for about an hour until Tay pulled into a gas station. I watched him get out to refuel the truck. Then I stared out of the window at the sun that was just beginning to rise. Without notice, however, I heard Tay call my name from behind me. Looking back, I saw him holding up a piece of a newspaper. This was stapled to the outside of the station, he told me, pointing at the sheet. I read the paper with shocked eyes. Missing student Edward Lockwood's body found near Redacted. The missing student's body was discovered mangled to pieces by the forest edge. Investigators found the remains early this morning after a frantic search was conducted by state parties. Investigators concluded that Lockwood most likely trespassed into the shutdown area for reasons still unknown. When friends and family were questioned, many responses spoke highly of Edward. The article continued, but next to it stood a black and white photo of Edward himself, smiling. I want to thank all of you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. 
If you're interested in learning more about the authors of these stories, please check the show notes for all their information. Well, everyone, you did it. You made it through 2020, a year that will forever go down in infamy. Tomorrow, a brand new year will be upon us. Will 2021 be the year of redemption we all desperately need? Or will it just be the sequel to the horrific events we've had to endure? Only time will tell, dear listener. But regardless of what happens, I will be here to bring you spooky stories, whether you decide to listen to the monthly podcast or the weekly YouTube videos. No matter how you choose to scare yourself, I want to say thank you for choosing Nope Too Creepy. I wish you all a fun and safe night, with plenty of good food, good drink, and good company. Oh, and remember to stay hydrated, people. Until next time, this is Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.